welcome to episode 145 of the Two Guys, a Glove, and a Coke Water podcast. He's Thomas Todd. He's Danny Zarchi. And we're Giants fans. And we are here on July 25th, Sunday, uh, the week before the trade deadline. And the Giants are still the best team in baseball. How do you feel about that? They have the best record in baseball or the best team in baseball? Definitely to the former. And it uh, depends who you ask to the latter. So uh, we joined you after kind of an up and down week for the, for the G men. Um, the giants uh, took uh, just one of three from the Cardinals from the dreaded Cardinals. They went three, uh, three or four against the Dodgers in one of the wildest series I've ever seen. Um, and then of course they completely screwed up against the, the uh, pirates salvaging one today after just kind of looking awful Um offensively and defensively this weekend. Um, so Thomas, what, um, what were your key takeaways other than sometimes all the bad things in a game seem to happen in the same inning? I want to slide all of those things aside because I feel like we can take them down at some point. I first want to start with my highlight of the weekend, which was the return of Dwayne Kuyper into the booth calling games for the Giants because the Giants could lose 16 to 1 and as long as that one was a yep. deep home run that somebody hit, and I got to hear Dwayne Kuyper say, hi, deep, out of here. Out of here. It's worth it, man. Like, big ups to Dwayne, powering through health issues, being the man, coming back, doing the thing that he, you know, deep down, he absolutely loves, does right. not want to ever stop doing. And it was just wonderful to have him back. And guess what? The Giants hit a lot of home runs to help him out. He had plenty of calls. And uh, even got him a W on Sunday. So we're going to leave this week thinking great things about Dwayne Kuyper and leaving the week on a win. But we should probably go backwards and unpack <laughs> some of that. But do you have any thoughts on Kuyper before we do? Uh, I mean, just just echoing what you said. I mean, I love Kuyper. His, his, you know, his call is iconic. Um, I I will always have, like, I love the, I love the adios pelota, you know, and with John's voice kind of echoing um, like that's great, but he hits it high. He hits it deep out of here. Uh, it's just iconic is, is the, is the call that we grew up with as giants fans. So, um, health issues are always scary. And I believe I would heard Kuiper talk about how one of the health problems or one of the symptoms of his health problems was that he couldn't, he'd lose his voice. Uh, before the game was over and it seemed like he did great. It seemed like hopefully that's not something that's affecting him. Um, it was just like having the gang back and, and uh, you know, you saw, you could see like just how much, for example, Kruko was just loving having him back. I mean, uh, he's such a beloved figure and, and yeah, having him back is amazing. Well, and one of the reasons, and I realized this watching these games, one of the reasons we love Kruko in particular is because he kind of speaks for all of us. He said something that really hit a nerve, which was, I hope the Giants hit a lot of home runs this series because I want to hear that home run call of yours. And <laughs> yes. he's such a great partner, and he's like such a great representation of the fandom at large. And that's why we love Kuko, because he loves Kuiper as much as we do. Yes. Because uh, he speaks for us in moments when, you know, Dwayne Kuiper can't hear us. But through through Mike Kruko, he kind of does. Right. And so so – I was off and on with some of the games this weekend. Did Kuiper come back Friday or yesterday? I believe it was Saturday. Was his okay, first yeah. Time. Did yesterday and today. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I didn't, I didn't remember hearing him on Fridays. But um, 
No, incredible. Uh, we love you, Kuiper. We, we love you, Dwayne Kuiper. We love you, Cole Kuiper. Glenn Kuiper, you know, I'm, I'm pretty high on Glenn Kuiper. Um, Je- the Jeff third Kuiper, Uncle Jeff. It, which one is the one in the truck? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I just think there, refers to his Uncle Jeff all the time. There are three Kuipers who, I mean, three, you know, adult uh, uh, of the Dwayne generation Kuipers who work for NBC Sports in some capacity. Glenn Kuyper is, I believe, the, the, uh, one of the play-by-play announcers for the A's. And then I think there's another one who kind of works behind the scenes at NBC. So well, anyway, way, it's... By the way, to make a science joke, we've got another notch on our Kuyper belt. Yes. Um, anyway, let's talk about the games, unfortunately. Um, so like I said, the Giants won the first one and dropped the next two against the Cardinals, the dreaded Cardinals. Um, I, in particular, felt that because I had made a bet with my Cardinals fan friend for the last series, which I lost. And then we went double or nothing on this series. And after the first win, it looked good. Uh, and then it all went downhill. So the giants won those games, seven, two lost one, uh, lost three to one and two to one. Then this Dodger series. So you could just look at the scores and you wouldn't get the, you, you, you'd think, okay, these are some close games, but let me walk you through these. So first game, the Giants win seven to two. Uh, not a particularly um, noteworthy. I mean, not a dramatic game. Um, Posey played really well. Uh, um, Posey and Flores both homered, and uh, Gossman pitched not well, but um, this, came out of the game. game was the, this game was the amuse bouche. Uh, right. The uh, meal that was being served that was this four game series. Yeah, I mean Gossman. So Gossman didn't do anything all that you know, good or noteworthy. The Giants offense picked them up late. All right, great. Good win. Game number two, uh, and you have um, your, uh, so it was Wood against their guy, uh, Nunez. So they had a bullpen game um, and the Giants took the lead early. They were up six to one and then ended up blowing it, um, going up six to five. Um, And uh, things didn't go well after that. Now, here's my analysis. So Tyler Rogers comes into that game in the ninth inning with a 6-5 lead. He proceeds to put two guys on and give up a Will Smith home run. We've all so seen so we should we should specify that uh, Jake McGee pitched in the eighth. McGee is not available going into the ninth. Anyway, proceed. Correct. I don't think there was an amount of batters who could come up that inning that Tyler Rogers would have recorded an out. He just looked like he was having yes. an absolute out-of-body experience, could not find the strike zone, and then when he could, served it up to Will Smith, who had to just be salivating at that point, looking for anything in the zone, and just took it out of the ballpark. So it would have ended up like the Bugs Bunny cartoon of the Dodgers just dancing and prancing around the bases because Tyler Rogers was not himself. Now, yes, and, and we should add that Chris Taylor had already homered twice and doubled in that game coming into the ninth inning, so you know – that um, in addition to Rogers not not having it, um, but not in the Posey sense, but literally not having it, um, it was even more so that he didn't want to, you know, throw meatballs to Chris Taylor, who uh, who let off the inning. If you were one of the fans, or the fan, or any number of fans who mentioned the words Tyler Rogers and DFA in the same tweet, stop watching games. Just just turn it off. Like to check out the rest of the season, read a book, and then come back next week. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, as 
We should just have a segment on here that's like dumb tweets, which would be the which would be the whole show eventually. But They're just called tweets. I mean, I, so here's my thing: is that like what you're going to see on Twitter a lot is you're going to see people just massacring Kapler for bullpen use, and um, which okay, there were some situations. Uh, so apparently, there were some reports that Rogers was uh, out of whack going into the game, uh, going into the second game against the Dodgers and that Kapler knew it and put him in anyway. Um, I don't really know how much, uh, I don't know the truth, the truth of it. You know, we don't know kind of what the conversations were like between Kapler and Rogers. There's at least, okay. And so I think you can kind of take somewhere that if that's true, if he knew that Rogers didn't have it and he knew the Dodgers had been uh, tough, maybe it wasn't right to put in Rogers in that situation. David here's the thing. hung over and threw a perfect game. Like, don't talk to me <laughs> about, like, how pregame performance dictates how you perform on the field. Like, you can have your worst bullpen session and then go out and have a bad yeah. like, it's, it's not. But here's the thing, is that the Giants' bullpen has been really good for the last couple months. And, um, you know, they keep kind of trotting out John Brebbia, hoping something will happen. I'm not sure he's going to stick around much longer. But There's too many B's in his name to be a pitcher. You never you don't want back to back B's in your name when you're a pitcher because that's that's based on balls right there. Uh, you know you know what it is that he has. You know what he's got that that most of them haven't got. A great big bushy beard. Oh God. <laughs> that's my favorite line from Hot Fuzz. Anyway, that's the only um, line from Hot Fuzz. Uh, so yeah, Brebbia didn't pitch well, but then Harlan Garcia, formerly Harlan the Marlin. Um, Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers. It's like sometimes pitchers just sometimes relievers don't pitch well. And all you can do is pick the guy. Kapler is not throwing the pitches. Um, and if you put in, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that, but that goes to my point. It's like, okay, maybe he knew that Rogers, you know, didn't have it. Um, we don't know exactly what happened, but for the most part, the relief, most part, the manager's job when it comes to bullpen use is, is pick the guy. And with the Giants, we know who the late inning guys are. It's Rogers, it's McGee. Um, and then other guys are, are kind of working their way into that. Like like Jay Jackson looks like a stud. Um, but if if Kapler puts in McGee or Rogers and they pitch poorly, how is that Kapler's fault? Like what could he have done? What could he have done differently? Yeah, those are the guys. I mean, that it, like I said, it's ridiculous. Stop watching the games if that's your assessment of that game. So, okay, so so I'm not sure we ever actually said what happened in that game. Uh, bottom of the ninth, Jake Rogers. Um, Jake Rogers. If Jake Rogers, um, one pitcher, that would be awesome. <laughs> so in the ninth inning, McGee uh, comes out of the game. Rogers replaces him. He walks Taylor on what I remember being four pitches, none of them close. Then he walks Matt Beatty on uh, um, Taylor to second. Um, Will Smith uh, pinch hitting that day. Um, It's a walk-off homer. Deep, deep, deep. He hits it high. He hits it deep. So the uh, the Dodgers win on a walk-off. The next day, the Dodgers take the early lead. They go up two to one. Um, The the Giants had uh, Logan Webb on the mound, who was pitching well. The Dodgers had uh, Julio Urias, uh, who who was completely dominating the Giants. They just didn't seem like they could get anything off of him. And going into the ninth inning, the Giants are down two to one. Thomas, do you uh, take us through the ninth? I mean, I'm having a rough time separating the (laughs) Wednesday game or the Tuesday game from the Wednesday or the, sorry, the Wednesday game from the Thursday game, because 
all I remember is just biting off all of my fingernails during the yes. 19th. Okay, well, so Jansen, I will tell you what those two games have in common. Kenley Jansen enters the chat. Uh, Dave, Dave Roberts, Roberts leaves the chat. It. Yeah, away from keyboard. So, uh, uh, so going into the ninth inning, Posey had been sitting that day, and in the rare occasion where they used Bo- Posey in any way on an off day, um, they had Posey pinch hit, um, and he singled. Buster, Buster than Wil- Wilmer? Is that is that what we're talking about? This is what happened. Yeah. So Buster singled uh, off of Kenley Jansen. Buster's always been really good against the super high velocity guys. I think he's he's got. I remember looking up really good career stats against Chapman, or at least good compared to other people against Chapman. Um, so uh, Buster singles. Flores hits a towering home run to the left, um, ties it, or um, and the Giants go ahead three to two. Flores hits a two run homer. Yastrzemski uh, strikes out. Rough doubles. Great at bat. Um, Solano uh, Solano walks. Tyro Estrada walks. And then Kirk Casale comes up to bat. And at this point, Jansen Jansen's done. I mean, he had no idea where the where the strike zone was. And he's getting booed, like Thomas was saying. He's getting he's getting booed. And finally, finally, they pull uh, they pull Kenley Jansen. And wh- and what do we hear as he's walking off? Raining booze. Raining booze. Do you remember ever, and maybe the answer is just an easy yes, but do you remember ever hearing Giants fans boo their own player? Armando Benitez? <laughs> okay, but other than that well-deserved example, um, <laughs> can you ever remember that? I mean, I, I, I legitimately can't. No, no, I cannot. And I've heard other discussions uh, of other media members who could not think of a good concrete example off the bat. The only one I could think of coming to mind and i couldn't prove it in a singular moment but i would guess that if there was booing of giants fans on their own player it was armando yeah i mean jansen's been a dodger forever um he was he was their closer during a lot of their best years and the guy didn't have it and like you know he didn't get the help of all that many calls to be fair but i just like i couldn't believe it and how how can you play for a team like that it's a it's a weird fan base because they just got a taste of it's a first of all it's a pretty casual fan base pretty casual town LA's got a lot of transplants Dodger fans are I think pretty transitory in general they've won you know the division so many times in a row that they're establishing a younger fan base but really they're riding on the coattails of much earlier success of the franchise and LA's such a weird town to be a sports fan a lot of their teams if you're not the Lakers you don't really matter. Um, so I, I don't feel like they're as passionate, you know, I know Roberts came out and said, uh, that the Dodgers are some of the best fans in sports, but that completely, because they re-embraced Jansen as he found success on the mound, like that makes completely no sense whatsoever. You stand up for your players, you know, especially guys who've been there for you for many seasons and been the best closer in the history of your franchise. Couldn't have said it better myself. And you I'd did. rather not. You didn't have to, yeah. The big moment was that uh, they end up pulling Jansen. He walks out to a chorus of booze. Uh, Victor Gonzalez comes in. He gets a strikeout. And then Kirk Casale comes up to bat. And on a very suspect ball four, uh, they walk in a run. Um, that is when Dave Roberts lost it. Uh, and, and, I mean, lost it or just you know did it to kind of fire up his team. I think that's usually more the case when when managers go and argue with the umps. Um, but it basically goes out, starts arguing, gets gets tossed. 
Um, any thoughts on that Casalia ball four? Not really. I mean, the zone had been pretty inconsistent all game. And if you look at the umpire report that came out after the game, calls <laughs> were going slightly in favor of LA for the entirety of the game. So, I, you know, I don't really have any issues with it. Right. So anyway, that's the end of that game. Um, game three, uh, or uh, that was game three. So game four, things are interesting once again. Do- Dodgers enter the ninth up three to one. And out comes Mr. Boo, Kenley Jansen, again. Now, this was interesting because after Rodgers gave up the ninth inning lead and the walk-off to Will Smith, Gabe Kapler and Tyler Rogers were both emphatic about the fact that Rogers will pitch the next time he's called upon without hesitation. Rogers wanted to go wash away his night with a Bud Light, and Kapler you know, gave confidence to his guy and then threw him out there the next night, and guess what? He got it done. So to have Kenley Jansen go out there for a second straight night, it was kind of Dave Roberts' same move of this is our guy, this is what he does, he shook it off, and he just went out and absolutely blew up again. Right, exactly. So uh, so Di Scafani uh, was started for the Giants. Um, Walker Bueller was started for the Dodgers. Walker Bueller is the ace of the Dodgers right now um, while Kershaw's out. And even probably while Kershaw's back, uh, Walker Bueller's just really darn good. Um Scafani in the middle of you know the best season of his career just doesn't seem to have the same magic against the Dodgers. Uh, they put up a graphic during the game that showed that he he'd had three starts against the Dodgers with something like a 10.2 ERA, and then every other start of his of his season combined was just stellar. But he's been blown up twice, two out of three times by the by the Dodgers. Um, he ended up pitching well. Um, or, I mean, uh, kind of a textbook. Uh, quality start, six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts, though. So nice job from Tony D or Disco, as he does not like to be known. Um, not his choice. Not. <laughs> remember when Mad Bum didn't want to be called Mad Bum? Not his choice. Um, so Thomas doesn't believe that you people get a say in their own nicknames. Going into the ninth inning, um, like Thomas said, Kenley Jansen comes into pitch. He gets a strike, quick strikeout. Flores gets on base, another quick strikeout. So uh, Jansen, who, again, coming back from this epic meltdown, gets two quick strikeouts, strikeout walk, uh, strikeout and a hit and a strikeout, and then it all just starts to go downhill again. Um, Donovan Solano doubled uh, Flores third, um, and then Vossler walked. There was uh, a play, a very interesting play, Jason where Vossler there was a this game. Yeah. So, saying. so here's what happened. Vossler was at first, there was a ground ball to, uh, to the shortstop, Chris Taylor. He flipped it to second for the easy out to end, um, Vossler, the, game. To to end, end the, game. the game. Vossler, who I don't remember if he was running on the play or if he was just really fast and it was a weird play. Um, he's sliding into second, just as Taylor throws the ball to the second baseman. The initial call was out. Um, but they ended up overturning it, and I don't know, man. It was funny because if you watch the video, Vossler, you can tell Vossler's on pace to beat the throw. His foot is sliding in faster than the ball is arriving. But then he kind of pulls his foot back, as you do, to like not jam your knee. And I don't, I don't know if he was safe. I mean, obviously, they overturned it. So they saw something that convinced them beyond a reasonable doubt, but... What did you think? Here's how this game could have ended. This game could have ended well for the Dodgers if Kenley Jansen doesn't poop his pants. 
this game could have ended well for the Dodgers if Chris Taylor decides to go to first, where he has a fairly easy out to end the game. This game ends if Jason Bossler doesn't get a monster secondary lead off of first base and absolutely book it down the line to beat out the throw. And this game ends if the umpires call Darren Ruff's check swing properly and he's called out on a strikeout to end the game. The Dodgers win in all of those scenarios. And those are all like 90-10 situations that favor the Dodgers. And they just, none of them went right. And that's how a ninth inning gets blown up for the second night in a row for Kenley Jansen. So uh, in the game today, or I believe it was in the game yesterday, they were talking about a lot about this Vossler secondary lead. Um, I was not watching with sound, unfortunately. Did, did you hear them talk about it? What was the point they were making? Uh, he just got an extraordinary, like larger than average secondary lead. He just got a he just got a couple extra feet off the bag, but it makes all the difference on those bang bang plays. Also, the other thing, if the second baseman uh, Noisy, I believe Sheldon Noisy, stretches out at all, gives any sort of effort to extending his arm or his legs, Bossler's out. Yeah, he kind of crocodile crocodile armed it. Yeah, he t- he T Rexed it. You know, he he went back sixty five million years and decided that the glove doesn't need to be further than six inches in front of his chest, and it cost the Dodgers the game. At this point, the Dodgers are still up three to one. So um, there haven't even been runs scored yet. Um, our guy, the MVP, the uh, big Tex, I don't know if he's from Texas, but he looks like he's from Texas. Darren, that's rough, buddy. Rough comes up and uh, huh. So let's just talk about these umpires. So during the Darren rough at that, um, there is a pitch that Ruff has a great eye. You know, we've seen him draw a ton of walks this season. He has two of them. He has two of them. He's got, he's got, he's got a really high uh, on base. Um, and I like, I, I feel like we don't ever see him kind of swing at garbage. Um, so he comes up and there's a pitch that's at least the width of the baseball outside of the strike zone, you know, six inches at least. Um and now that they have the StatCast strike zone box on the screen, we can all see terrible pitch. And Ruff takes it because it's not a strike, um, calls it a strike. So all now right. it's 2-1 instead of 3-0. Oh. Right, With so now it's 2-1. Lo- Reminder, the bases are loaded. Right, so it's 2-1 instead of 3-0. Oh. Ruff takes the next pitch. It is 3-1. Uh, and, and then um, there's a pitch out of the strike zone rough checks his swing allegedly uh and they call it a ball to walk walks in a run um they appeal to the first base umpire uh and he calls it not a swing um thomas did darren rough swing at that oh almost definitely <laughs> yes a hundred percent that was a swing if he had made contact that ball would have you know would have left the yard that was a swing <laughs> I won't go that far, but no. It would have left the infield. I mean, here's the thing. And it got national attention because it was such a horrific call in a big game against two rival teams battling it out for the division in late July. So it got press coverage. So it's going in the national uh, media members' feeds, and all the Giants fans are pushing back. But you didn't see this strike. And, like, clearly those media members did see that strike. But it's not relevant. There's no makeup calls. There's no, you know, if then, but situation where because Darren Ruff got a bad call, it means he should be awarded first base 
That's uh, like if you the just universe owes him one. If you think about that, I mean, it's like Ed Hickox, who was the first base umpire, was was not the one who called that ball a strike. Right. Um, and probably couldn't tell because of where he's standing. I mean, he knew that people were yelling about it, but people yell about everything. Well, so, especially Dave Roberts oh, this week. <laughs> so, I mean, it just didn't doesn't seem like it would make sense that it was any sort of makeup call. So anyway, um, Ruff is called to not have swung. He walks. They walk in a run. Um, and once again, the Dodgers are still winning at this point. Still three to two. Um, but Dave Roberts comes out of the comes out of the dugout. He has a few choice words for Ed Hickox, who has just the best poker face. I mean, you watch these videos of Roberts just screaming at Ed Hickox, and he's just he's he, he looks like a professional poker player. He looks like Phil Ivy if Phil Ivy was the first base umpire. He just says, "Nope, no, we didn't swing. Nope." Yeah, if if Phil Ivy was in a terrible accident and was comatose for a few minutes that's what ed hickox looked like and dave roberts came out and i don't know if you're going to get the 90s era wwf reference but like a bushwhacker pumping his fist <laughs> and stomping around like a madman just ready to get tossed for the second game in a row and uh it's funny because and and the, the announcers talked about this i we didn't see him get tossed they went to commercial and then they came back and he was gone but like prematurely throw him out of next week's series <laughs> I, I mean, what, like that, that kind of brings it to the next question and why, why managers do this. I mean, they, they, they do it to fire up their team. Right. Yeah, and also Max having Muncy, the manager there. Is Max Muncy going to have to go get Dave Roberts out of the ocean? <laughs> so that, that's another thing is that uh, when the, when the Dodgers came up to bat in the bottom of that inning, Max Muncy had clearly gone and watched the replay in the clubhouse and came back and had some, uh, once again, choice words for Ed Hickox. Um, yeah, but, that was uh, the most I've seen a baseball player scream at an umpire in a long time. Like, he was violently mad. He was yeah. not angry. He was not being snarky. He was not being sarcastic. He was being aggressive. And, I mean, good for him. You know, do what you got to do. Like, seriously, like, what would you want your players to do? You know, show some passion, show some fire. He's a world champion. He's a great hitter. I get it. But what we're not failing to mention is the chaos ensued after Dave Roberts' ejection led to Kenley Jansen not being pulled from the game. Right. So uh, Kenley Jansen has now had his, once again, nightmare of an inning. Uh, He got two quick outs with a hit, then a walk, then a fielder's choice that didn't make an out. And then this epic walk once again with the pitch that he probably swung at. And it's been a rough inning so far. And, you know, they talk a lot about how, like, any of these things on their own could be enough to get in the pitcher's head. They've all happened. <laughs> and Kenley Jansen is still on the mound for some reason. He's and... shown up in class in his underwear. Uh, his crush is the only one that can see him. <laughs> and his dog ate his homework. And his professor is Satan himself. And for some reason, his mom is not coming up to pick him up. Yeah, and there's he no keeps love. calling her. He's saying, "I'm not, I'm not here today. I can't do this," and the mom does not answer the phone. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, so then he, so Jansen for some reason pitches to Lamont Wade again. Wade is batting like 300 against righties and is literally doesn't bring a bat to the to the batting box when he's batting against lefties. So, 
that seems like a pretty easy st- uh, strategy decision is pitch lefties against Wade, especially when you're still winning. You're, they were still winning. The Dodgers failed to invoke the 25th Amendment. The line of succession was not in place. The manager and- was gone. The power had not been transferred. <laughs> Who's running the country? <laughs> You've seen the West Wing. They, the, the Dodgers had even warmed someone up. Phil Bickford was standing in the bullpen thinking, hmm, Jansen should not be pitching right now. <laughs> hmm, I bet I could get somebody out right now. But Phil Bickford is in the line of succession just behind the Secretary of Education, and he doesn't you get to decide. Phil Bickford, the designated survivor? Yes, exactly. He, does not, he, <laughs> he doesn't get to choose when Kenley Jansen, the superstar, comes out of the game. So, so, so Walt Wade hits a two-run single. He hits a two-run single because that's what he does. And again, here's the thing. After all this, after all these things happened, you know, we're two hours into this inning. The Dodgers still could have won, like really easily, by Wade making it out. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> Wade hits a two-run single to right. Uh, Giant uh, Posey makes an out. That's three outs. And so we go into the bottom of the ninth. The Giants have a two-run lead, five to three. And uh, Jake McGee comes in. Um, Gets two quick outs, then gives up a double, and then gets a strikeout. Giants win. Uh, they win three of four of the series. The final three of which were all blown saves in the ninth. It just, it, I mean, I can't remember another series like this. You know, we've had some great series in our history. We've had some great games. But I, I, without going back and looking at absolutely all of them, with what was on the line, even though it's only still July, with who we were playing, and with the level of performance in the past of someone like Kenley Jansen, it's just, it's just, it was an incredible run of super tense games. I didn't even want the Giants to, to put runners on on the Thursday game. I was kind of just ready for that game to end because I couldn't freaking take it anymore. And by the time they loaded the bases and Ruff was batting, I was wishing none of this had ever happened. Okay, well, see, I, I, I wish none of my life had occurred to that point to get me to how nervous I was watching that at that. Okay, see, I've kind of been cheating myself this season because I've I've been having stuff to do like every evening, and so I almost never watch the games live anymore, and uh, which sucks. Don't get me wrong, I miss it a lot, um, and my I, as much as i try to turn off the notifications for some reason i still get still get them from the mlb app or on my phone saying walk off or wilmer clutch or like something like that you know yes 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 because he homered three times you know like these uh social media stars at from the mlb app um so i've almost always gotten it spoiled for me that the giants were going to come back but like Knowing that going in and seeing like, wait, it's two outs against Jansen, like actually does give you this whole sort of thing of like, wow, how could the Dodgers screw this up? Wow. And I just, for everything Chris Taylor gave them on offense in that series and to have it go away with that one defensive blunder, it just, it it goes to show you got to play both sides of the ball. Yeah. Are you telling Chris Taylor what to do? Yeah. Yeah. better defense, bro. They really, they need Seager back. Oh, yeah, they do. Um, so then the Giants play the Pirates uh, the last three days. Um, let's not talk about it. All right, anyway. I don't, like, I don't feel like there's much to talk about other than we, we have to talk about Kevin Gosman. 
Right. So uh, the Giants took one of three against the Pirates um, on Friday. They, they just didn't have it. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be saying that a few times. Um, but on Friday, Cueto, five innings, three runs, not too bad. But then Sergio Leone, uh, in very uncharacteristic fashion, completely blew it. He couldn't find the strike zone. He gave, gave up three walks, no hits, but gave up, uh, gave up three hits. Uh, um, sorry, gave up three runs, all of which came on walks. Um, and then after that, the, the Giants weren't going to come back. Um, yeah, not a, lot of, not a lot of lessons here. Honestly, Sergio Leone hasn't made a spaghetti western in several decades. Like, what's he been up to? Did, Did I mean- say Sergio Leone? I meant Dominic Leone. <laughs> I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. All right. I've had a little. I've had a three quarters of a beer. Well, this this podcast, you know, there was some good, there was some bad, and that was that was some ugly. Yeah, that was the ugly one. <laughs> okay, podcast title: the the pod with no name. That'll do it. Every All which right. way, but loose. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, again, like, no real lessons to learn. Um, Posey did well. He doubled twice. Wade tripled. Um, we got homers from Duggar and Dickerson. Love to see it. Um, then yesterday's game, just ugly. Uh, Kevin Gossman, who's had just a Cy Young caliber season, gave up six runs. It ended up as six runs. I think the last two or three or um, – or through inherited pitchers, uh, pitchers who gave up the runs as inherited runners. But still, um, he was just overall ineffective, gave up eight hits and four walks and four and a third innings. Um, that makes it two bad starts in a row, uh, which total to seven and a third innings, eight earned runs and seven walks across two starts. Uh, I mean, even superstar pitchers have blemishes, or are you a little more worried? I'm a little more worried because going into that game on Saturday, because we were, we talked about this and we talked about the emotional weight of what he went through uh, with his family issues uh, over the all-star break and dealing with his wife and her pregnancy and things like that. So you can come back exhausted and off. And so we kind of dismissed that short three inning outing. as uh, nothing to be too worried about. He'll get back into rhythm and then just watch this game. And the first inning, he just can't find the strike zone. And that's completely atypical of Gossman. You'd think if he's going to lose his stuff, his sinker is going to lose a little, or his split rather, is going to lose a little funk, and maybe he'll start to get batted around a little bit. But he lost his command completely, and that's been something that's been there all season. Yeah, I mean, I still – I think that you're absolutely right that we should acknowledge the effect that these um, home issues and health issues and family issues can have on the pitcher. And, uh, you know, we don't always hear about it or see it. Um, I think that it's still perfectly fair to assume that this is still from that. I mean, it was a very traumatic thing that he and his wife went through. Um, I don't think it should just be the one start. I, I think this could be it. Um, one of the things, one of the times we really saw this happen was uh, when Brandon Crawford's sister-in-law passed away suddenly uh, at a young age. Um, and I mean, yeah, we don't hear about it a lot. We don't know what was going on, what, uh, you know, what Brandon's wife was dealing with, um, how much Brandon was, was there to be a caretaker to her, to um, how much that weighed on him personally or, or time commitment, things like that. Um, I, so I think it's, I, I'm saying he's tired. He's dealing with a lot of crap. I mean, Best case scenario, he's dealing with a newborn, right? A healthy newborn who probably 
is a lot of work and a lot of attention and cries a lot and keeps them up. So I think, I think that's until we've seen something that indicates an injury. I think that's what we're, I think that's what I'm assuming is the case. And thank goodness I didn't see any DFA Gossman tweets because. Oh my God. Kicked out of the fan base. Yeah. I would have torn up every note I've ever made. I would have set fire to any merchandise that I could find around the house though. I'm not in my house, so I probably couldn't find any, but didn't see any of those tweets. Gossman will likely regress from his uh, Cy Young form, but he could still be a Cy Young candidate, especially with how few starts and innings uh, that uh, Jacob deGrom has thrown this season. So something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Uh, You mentioned earlier, Buster Posey's back, uh, hit a home run this week, uh, had that single that started the rally in Tuesday's game. Just nice to have Buster back. Let's just acknowledge that. Absolutely. Um, And it's interesting because, I mean, would you rather have Buster two out of three days or would you rather have somebody like Yadier Molina, you know, five out of six days? Like, I think that's, that's kind of a conceptual question that kind of defines a difference in, oh yeah, the answer is Buster. But, (laughs) but you know, like that's one of the big things between these like Iron Men, blah, 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 or like, you know, are we, are we going to, so, okay. I just thought of this question. Do you think that we're going to start to see the something close? Uh, we're we're going to see this kind of like load management become much more common in the NF in the NB. What what sport is this? The MLB, and not, not the okay. Podcasts about other sports that you're like confusing <laughs> with this one. I well, so I started thinking about the NBA, and that threw me off. All right, are we going to see the same kind of load management issues be like out front and common? in MLB like it is in say the NBA? The reason the load management thing became such an issue in the NBA is because they were in nationally televised games. Greg Popovich was saying, I don't care which games are being nationally televised. I'm going to keep my guys on this schedule, which is best for my team. And so when it's bad for ratings, it's bad for the league. Baseball, you don't really tune in for one guy. There's some starting pitchers that maybe get enough traction that their fan bases make sure to tune in definitely for that game. But I don't think an individual player playing an extra game in a week or not playing an extra game in a week really affects ratings or fan interests. So I don't think it's going to be an issue if Buster Posey plays less for the Giants. I don't think that's going to turn anyone off of the fan base. So I don't really think load management is as noticeable in Major League Baseball as it is on, say, the NBA. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like, so, you know, famously Buster plays two out of three days. He does not play first on his day off. He almost never punt pinch hits on his day off. I I know he did a couple of days ago, but I don't think that's been the case quite so much. Um, he's 34. He's an old man um, and it has helped. To, and he's coming off major hip surgery. So these are all good reasons and the results he's, he's playing really well. Brandon Crawford, another old guy, um, until he got hurt recently, was playing a lot, but still not playing regularly. Um, so I guess what I'm wondering is, like, do you think uh, do you think we're going to see guys who just explicitly only play two out of three days? Um, I mean, that's kind of the way the organization's going with how heavy they platoon to begin with. So rest is uh, a factor in that, but. What I think is really going to happen, Crawford's so much of an everyday player and so much of his value is being out there for so many tries on defense and it's been such a run producer this year. But in the case of Posey, obviously he's the starting catcher for the rest of the season. He'll be 
playing the games that matter down the stretch, the games that matter the most, if there's a, a pennant chase situation, but they are going to limit him in a way that other teams don't with their guys. And that's okay. But it's really all about next year, what they decide to do with a then 35 year old Buster Posey and Joey Bart, which I think would become a situation where if Posey's still effective, they can have those guys, maybe a 65, 35 split, a 60-40 split as far as the catching duties and try and extract the most value out of both players. But that's only if Bart, you know, is hitting well and learning his position down in AAA. So I don't really see load management being an issue for anyone but Buster Posey on the Giants. And I don't even see it being an issue next year because of Bart hopefully coming up and having a a two-headed monster at the catching position. Yeah, I guess where I, I think about it more on a conceptual level is like, Sony, like, you know, Albert Pujols. Um, I, I know that Dodgers fans would probably, well, I, <laughs> I'm i guessing Dodgers fans would actually prefer him to play less. Um, but, you know, if you had somebody like that, somebody or, you know, or like a David Ortiz, who's like still hitting really well, but, you know, he's he's older than he was and maybe he's not, not really up for running quite so much. He just says, all right, I'm here. I'm going to play three days a week. Uh, other than that, I'm going to, you know, do his thing but but like you said we already do kind of see that and and i think more and more teams are going to platoon kind of as a general rule like the giants are so it probably won't even be all that noticeable um so other than that so uh, you mentioned buster the other guy who's playing kind of low-key well is mike yastrzemski um his season numbers are still not really all that good um he's batting 229 321 41 but if you look at his splits by month, every month he's gotten better uh, from a 772 OPS to 787 in May, 816 in June, and an 839 OPS in July. By December, um, he'll be an all-time legend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so he's had a few really good games since the All-Star break in particular. Uh, and I like having this guy on my team. Yeah, I mean, Yaz is great. Yaz coming into the season was supposed to be our best hitter. You know, we're... We, Buster was a big question mark. Crawford was aging and coming off some medium good seasons. You know, Brandon Belt uh, always produces in spurts, but Yaz was coming in as the guy that you're like, okay, this guy's going to anchor the lineup, provide some consistency. You can throw him in right field every single day and be happy with his performance. Um, We haven't quite got that level, and some of his teammates have surpassed him as far as uh, value this season, and he struggled with some injuries, so... Um, it'd be nice to have him consistently contributing again. He does, I believe, you can check my math on this, have 16 home runs, which is uh, great. And if he could get to 25 or 30 home runs, you know, that's a heck of a season in a Giants uniform. And uh, we actually have, what are we heading towards, nine players with double-digit home runs? Um, I I'm not sure the exact number, but that is something they've been talking about a lot on the broadcast, that um, the last time the Giants had – well, at looking historically at uh, seasons in which they had at least um, eight players with 10 home runs or something like that. And basically the Giants are well on their way and have almost even reached this point. But certainly by season's end, they're likely to be um, basically at historic levels. Uh, the most players with the most home runs kind of spread across the team. And that's kind of what's been really interesting um, watching how, you know, Zaidi builds team is you get – good production from a bunch of guys and you don't get bad production from very many at all. Uh, your floor is really high. Look, Mauricio Dubon was not bad. Like 
he wasn't particularly good. He wasn't great this season. He had, didn't even look as good as he's played in the past. But for a guy like that to be sent down who wasn't even playing that poorly, like it just shows you you have to bring it on this team offensively because there's a lot of depth. They play a lot of the matchup. Darren Ruff, one of the best hitters in the league against left-handed pitching. You know, the Giants have these weapons to just come in and use. Uh, you know, Lamont Wade Jr., like you said, killing right-handers. Can't hit a lefty to save his life. Might as well be drowning in a boat uh, with holes in it. But, um, you know, they have these guys. So you really have to keep your game up, like I said about Dubon. And uh, I got I, I, nothing else to say. Lamont Wade Jr. has 12 home runs. Including two today. Gosh, that's incredible. He, he has as many home runs. He had as many home runs through three innings today as he did in, in his entire uh, Twins career. Yeah, I was I was on his fan graphs today, looking at his value, and he's 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 earned himself a, a great season offensively. He gives a little back on the base paths and on defense, but nothing glaring. And he's just been absolutely clutch. He's been there. Uh, the Giants don't have a, a traditional leadoff hitter. He's been hitting leadoff a bunch. Um, so just, you know, happy to have them. And there was a lot and, and from us, you know, pushback when they made that trade, people love Sean Anderson and had people uh, loved Sean Anderson. I, I saw some tweets. They're like, man, I really panned this trade, you know, or this swap earlier. And now I, I feel stupid. People admitting on the internet that they said something stupid. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, it's funny because coming into this season, I, kind of thought that the Giants were set in the outfield. You know, they had Stremski, they had Dickerson, they had Slater. I mean, Duggar hadn't really played his way into an everyday role yet, but we knew that he was there. Um, Dubon was playing a really good center um, on the off day too. And so it was just funny to look at that. And one of the first moves that that Zaidi made uh, was to trade for Mike Talkman. And it was like, wait, why, why – why are we trading for an outfielder? And why are we trading a reliever for an outfielder when at that point the bullpen was the problem and the outfield seemed to be a position of need? Now, Talkman, I know his season numbers haven't looked really good. Um, I mean, they look very bad, but he also kind of single-handedly handed us three wins and continues to be a useful player, as particularly as like a pinch runner and a defensive replacement. But it was one of those things where it's like trading into this position of what seemed like strength because it felt like Zaidi was more focused on kind of the best player he could acquire. And then they'll figure it out later than, Oh, we have this need. Let's trade for it. Well, look, Alex Dickerson should never keep anyone else off the field. Like he's a nice player. And I think he's going to be useful for the giants for the rest of this season and, and potentially going forward. But he's not, he's not, he's not getting Wally pipped. You know, he's not Wally pipping anybody. Like it's not going to be a situation where we can't acquire this guy because we need to give 450 at bats to Alex Dickerson. So the only guy that was really super solid was Yaz. So the rest, you just kind of play around with and see what sticks. They also have the most, this is also the most flexible roster that they've had. When you can throw rough out in the outfield, you can throw rough at first base. You can put Lamont Wade Jr. in the outfield. You can put him at first base. You can put Mauricio Dubon in the infield. He can play the outfield. Like I've never seen this flexible of a Giants roster where guys are able to move around positions like this. Right, right. And, you know, and it seems like they're doing it at kind of less of a cost than, you know, the... the uh, playing left. Well, Bell ah. playing left or... You know, remember the, what was it, the Animal Kingdom defense when it was Pat Burrell, Andres Torres, and then the uh, 
first baseman whose name we've forgotten. Which, um, which animal were those guys? I don't remember. I think they, I think it was the, uh, they were the water buffalo and he was the gazelle, something like that. Oh, yes, yes. God, we're oh, really you? bad as a fan base at like making analogies. Like, <laughs> yeah. Horrible at it. Like the, um, the killer peas. Oh, God. Uh, remember the milkman? The milkman. Um, yeah. This, these were awful. <laughs> like, talk about cringe, like, absolute cringe. And then when the milkman became like a thing on Twitter and they're like, we're not giving up on Melky. And it was like, and then they changed their name to like the, those guys, you know, and then they were like the hidden milkman on Twitter. Like that's who they were, but they didn't want to, and they were doing like a secretive thing. Anyway, it was just like, man, we went through a lot. It turned out they were the ghosts from a Christmas carol the whole time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Dickerson had a really good year last year. Um, He, he hasn't had so good of a year this year, Um, but but he hits lefties. Well, he's mostly being used against righties. He he has good splits against lefties, but in far fewer plate appearances this season. Yeah. But no, but you know, you put him there, and you know, okay, this guy's this guy can be really useful, but he's not a massive defensive liability. Um, and it's just interesting because I again, they were talking about this on the broadcast, but like the Giants have never really fielded teams that had a lot of guys who'd steal bases, but the teams they're putting out these days are really fast, particularly when you have guys like Slater and Duggar and Tyro Estrada is apparently the fastest guy on the field when for the giants. Did you know that Tyro's the runner? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. They were there. They said that he has the best sprint speed of the, on the team. Like he beats out Duggar and Slater. So is, is, is Estrada on Estrava, my favorite running app? He probably is. We should uh, we should ask him. We should become Strava friends. I can check his splits on on Estrava. Um, so it's just nice to see these guys who are who are really fast because it just hasn't been something the Giants have been doing lately. All right, so let's talk about the week coming up. Giants are off tomorrow, Monday. Um, then three games at home against the Dodgers and three games at home against the Astros. The Astros are pretty good, um, and the Dodgers are pretty good. After that, they're going. They're uh, going on the vacation that every player wants this season. Going to Arizona to play the, the Diamondbacks, and uh, a nice four-game series. Then three games in Milwaukee against the Brewers. Um, do you have a prediction for those one, two, three, uh, thirteen games? Do I have a prediction for thirteen games? I mean, do you have an overall win-loss prediction? How do you think they're going to do? Seven and seven and six. Okay, which seven and which six? I think uh, I think they're going to clean up again. How many against the D-backs? You said four in Arizona. Uh, three and one in that series. They're going to go uh, two and one against LA and one and two against Houston. Okay, uh, and then that gets you to six. And then what are the last three game? Three? three games at Brew Crew. One and two. Yeah, I think the Brewers are pretty dang good. All right, I'm going to, and I don't know the overall number here. I think they're going to three three and one against the D-backs. I think they're going to sweep the Brewers. Um, go one and two against the Astros. I think they're going to sp- uh, – well, you can't split three games. I think they'll go two and one against they're the Dodgers. They're going to find a way. Kenley Jansen's going to find a way to split. Okay, so, so I have the Dodgers. I have two and one. Then they're three and three after the Astros. Um, six and four. And then seven and uh, – nine and four. 
Wow. That sweep against the Brewer crew, that would be a good call for you if that comes through. I feel like the, the Giants have just always played well in Milwaukee. I think Buster is going to bat like 800 in that series. They're drowning against the NL Central right now after that St. Louis and Pittsburgh uh, couple of series these last few weeks. Yeah. So uh, just a couple of final things. Um, the, uh, one, of the, one of the big things coming up is the trade deadline. It is this Friday, um, which is not July 31st, but they're ending it a day early because they didn't want the deadline to be on a weekend. Um, so that gives us a week. And uh, again, they removed the waiver uh, trade deadline. So there, there is no second trade deadline. This is it. Um, we'll do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. So um, there are a couple teams that are probably going to be trading a lot. Um, the Rockies are expected to make trade every everything that's not nailed down. The Cubs, they already traded, you know, superstar Jock Peterson. Um, but they also have guys like Javi Lopez, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryan, and then um, Zach Davies, Craig Kimbrell, and Andrew Chafin. Wow. Um, they have an excellent bullpen, and they're pretty the much going to trade. The shock they can't win with that talent. I don't. <laughs> yep. Um, when, you have, when you have nine players to give up at the deadline to clean house, you probably should have just been winning. I mean, that's kind of the Astros of uh, the uh, Marlins of like a few years ago is like, how can a, how can an outfield of Ozuna, uh, Yelich and Stanton possibly compete in the, in this, in this league? And it's like, no, that's, that's a, that's a good team right there. It's incredible. It's absolutely so, incredible. Well, we're buyers and that's just an awesome feeling. I love being a buyer. Well, so Mike Petriello of MLB.com put together 25 players with trade Deadline predictions. The only player he has going to the Giants, and again, this is just a, a guess, is Chris Bryant. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, do you think the Giants are going to acquire a position player? Yes, but not Chris Bryant. Okay, what are you thinking? I, I, I think they just keep leaning into the outfield depth. I don't think with Belt and Longoria coming back that the infield's even something that is a concern right now. If any, and I, I saw, you know, the second baseman from the Pirates go off the market this week, second base would be a nice place to add some depth, but I don't see anything on the corners or the shortstop position or the catcher position. So I think if they go for a bat, something in the outfield. Do you, uh, I mean, another name that's been tied to the Giants occasionally is Starling Marte. Um, he's real good. He's kind of older though. And I think he'll, he'll be a free agent after this season. So um, he'd be a, a total rental and probably not somebody that'd want to even resign. Um, a player, I mean, Chris that, Bryant, a player that gives Donovan Solano fewer at-bats. I know that's a little bit of a blasphemy after his performance the last couple seasons, but I'm not entirely happy with what we've seen from Solano so far. So, yeah, I mean, so there are some options. I mean, one of them is that Mauricio Dubon is batting 392 in AAA. Um, I bet we see him back here before too long. Um, I don't feel like Javi Baez is a giant, but I feel like we'd love the experience. See, I, I, I don't know. Like Javi Baez for years has been a, a kind of not a player who's supposed to be good. You know, he doesn't, he swings at everything. He doesn't ever draw a walk. He's just a big power speed guy with like terrible plate discipline, but it works. And but now when it's occasionally not working, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. He's not a good player. He'll never, he was never supposed to be a good player. So this makes sense. 
Matt, Matt so, Kane was never supposed to be good. His ex-fip was never right. He was never dominating. Nothing ever. Everyone's expecting for everything to fall apart. And right. I guess it, he's it, supposed to give up more homers. Yeah, not it, everything fell apart. But yeah, not before he had some all-star caliber season, got some Cy Young votes, and won some titles. So, I mean, everything fell apart for him in his mid-thirties. You know, it happens to everyone. Yeah, I'm falling apart <laughs> as we speak. Um, okay, so. So maybe outfield. I mean, Chris Bryant was tied to the Giants because he's been playing a good amount of outfield. Do you think the Giants acquire a pitcher, either yes, relief pitcher or starting pitcher? Starting, I think starting pitcher. I, I think the bullpen is okay. I don't think uh, any moves they make there are going to be negligible. I think going after a, a big fish starting pitcher will be even a priority over any bat whatsoever. So do you think that they get like Scherzer or Scherzer tier? I think the next tier below Scherzer. I don't think they land next Scherzer. Okay. I yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, the Giants have some really good prospects. I mean, would you be okay? Like, would you would you give up Elliot Ramos for a year of Max Scherzer? No. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's and apparently it's not Elliot. because I'm in love with my own prospects. Okay. Um, I mean, or or would you be okay with them trading like a, you know, six through tenth giant best Giants prospect for, um. I don't know, Kyle Hendricks or something like that. Yeah, sounds good. I'm on board with that. That's the tier I'm in. That's the okay. tier of pitchers. I just want a quality starting pitcher I mean, when I'm comfortable going out in a playoff game and saying, I think that guy can win this ball game for us. I think Kyle Hendricks has actually had a terrible season, but a, a Kyle Hendricks, you know, the, like the noun in the as it exists in the dictionary. Yeah, I think um, starting pitching is top, bat number two, bullpen three. Wow, Kyle Hendricks really turned it around because he's Kyle Hendricks. That's what he does. Yeah. Um, I wasn't worried about it. You were worried about it. Well, yeah, because I had him on a fantasy team and he gave up like 30 runs in the first, you know, two games. Um, Fantasy baseball. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I agree. I think more likely they'll, they'll get a reliever. I don't think they're going to get like Craig Kimbrell, but I think again, they'll get like, one or two tiers down so that we have a bullpen that looks something like McGee, Rogers, um, Leon, you know, or Sergio Leone if he's, if he's game. Uh, that's the spicy you know, and then That's the spicy meatball right there. And then, you know, make it so that when you add in a, you know, a really good reliever, like everybody moves up a tier and it, it actually, you know, it can help down the line too. I think that's more likely. Um, I, yeah, I think Jay Jackson coming into the bullpen has been amazing. Um, he just, he, all he throws is sliders and nobody can hit him. Well, we'll, 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 I'll tamp that down just a little bit. It's real early on the Jackson experience. So we'll, we'll rein that one in real quick. We'll, we'll touch base on that one in three, four more weeks, maybe. Yeah. Um, he's just, his numbers are, are ridiculous. He's pitched, um, so far this season, he's pitched in five and a third innings. He's not yet given up a run, uh, and he has nine strikeouts. Nine strikeouts and one walk, no hits. I, I love learning things from five and a third innings. I'm a big fan <laughs> of taking huge, huge, penciling this guy in the seventh inning role for the rest of time based on five and a third big league innings. Okay, so I think they're going to get a reliever. You think they're going to get a starter. And then when it comes to uh, – when it comes to position players, I think that the the highest player they trade for is somebody who's like a like a Tommy Listella, who most people haven't heard of, but 
Farhan thinks that, you know, secretly he, he can hit mill handers at a 900 OPS, you know? Yeah. Second, second base or outfield for a position player at the deadline. If they, if they go that direction. And Hey, they may even get Tommy Lestella back. I mean, that's another, that was another like injury free, update. Like I heard trade. it's like a free agent sign. It's like a trade. Um, I mean, that was another uh, uh, injury update I heard today was that, um, that Lestella was coming back. Uh, Belt was, uh, they were in discussion about Belt starting a rehab program. Um, Evan Longoria was put on the 60 day IL. So he won't be uh, eligible until sometime in like mid August. And I think that's about the time they think he'll be ready to. Um, so yeah, I think they're, they're going to get some nice reinforcements back down the stretch and including, I really want to see how good Tommy Lestella is. Like, I love that signing. He's barely played for the team. Um, I want to see what he does. So uh, yeah, uh, we got some good games coming up. The Giants are going to play well. Um, we both think they're going to win. We think we both think they're going to have a good two weeks. I think they're going to have a stellar two weeks. A, a Tommy Lestellar two weeks. <laughs> exactly. So thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you in about two weeks. He's Thomas Dodd. I'm Danny Zarchi. Do not follow us on social media, just for everybody's sake. And uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.